welcome to the fifth episode of PR People, the podcast with uh, me, Colin Taylor, and me, Alex Ixon. And today we're joined by Saffron Shergill, who is currently digital PR exec at Impression Talk. And Saffron is passionate about diversity and inclusion, corporate social responsibility. So we thought today we'd bring that into the conversation as well as April Fool's Day. So dissecting the campaigns that have come out today. So hello, Saffron. Welcome and thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honoured to be here. It's fine. I've been really looking forward to having you on. I always feel like you've got really great insight on everything that's going on in the industry. And I'm so glad we've managed to do it on April Fool's Day itself. I feel like there's so much to like dissect and unpackage from today alone. Yeah, no, I'm excited. I won't lie, though. I'm not the biggest April Fool's Day fan. So I feel like you've got an interesting one by having me on. Um, but yeah, I definitely have an opinion about a few things that I've seen today. Yeah, yeah. I feel like it's been it's been an interesting one. I've, I've actually been quite surprised at how much April Fool's content I've seen compared to last year. Obviously, I know circumstances were a lot different last year, but I feel like my timeline's been bombarded today of the campaigns and like social efforts for April Fools. Um, But have you seen any that have really stood out to you today for like the right or the wrong reasons? I tweeted about it earlier, but I really liked the campaign by the Dungeons. I don't know if you guys saw it, but they basically. announced that they were launching rapid witch tests so anyone who goes to the dungeons has to have this um witch test to ensure that they aren't a witch before they enter into the attraction and i just found it so fun i thought that it was really clever really um tying into the current news agenda but also um, something which allowed um allowed to laugh with them rather than making a fool of any of their kind of customer base so I, I really enjoyed that one um I think it's been really interesting one of the first ones I saw this morning was from McDonald's um so it was like they were introducing like a mini version of fries um and I thought oh that's kind of cute like obviously it's nothing too harmless to put out on social media but then when it was like lunchtime they kind of came out and said oh actually um you know, it is an April Fool, but have half price off fries all day. And I was like, oh, that's actually quite a nice way to tie it in, I think. It's really interesting because I expected a bit more, um, like, people being reserved today, especially after last year, because remember last April Fool's, we'd all, we'd all sort of been, like, plunged back into lockdown and and everything was a bit uncertain and the news cycle was, like, very different. Um, but are there any April Fool's campaigns, I suppose, that have stood out for being maybe not just... I suppose tasteless, but just like not on brand. Um, one that I saw that I wasn't a fan of is one by This, who are a plant-based food manufacturer. That one I didn't really like. They basically released these videos on their Instagram where they made it look like the products that they've been creating all this time, which are plant-based, are actually made from chicken DNA in a lab and I, I I just didn't find it very funny I thought that so many of their customer base are are you know vegan they're really into the um 
treatment of animals and I thought that it just didn't fit with their values or the values of their customers. Um, I'm personally not vegan um, and I didn't find it very funny and I found it in a lot of comments people didn't really find it very amusing. So yeah I, I just don't think that it was worthwhile for them to engage and I just don't think it was worth the bad comments that they got from it. Yeah, I feel like if if it goes against the customer base, then that's like the completely wrong way to do it, even if it is a joke. Um, especially with veganism, where it's a lifestyle, it's a it's 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 not to be joked about kind of thing. Yeah, and I think that brands work so hard through the year to build their trust with their customers, especially um, a brand like this. And it almost seems like on April Fool's Day they've just thrown it all out of the window. And I think that sometimes brands really need to look at the campaign that they're creating and think whether it's worth it or not. In this case, I personally don't think that it was. Yeah, definitely. I remember seeing, I think it was in a talk once, seeing something where it was like brands take years and years to build up and take seconds to destroy. And I feel like because it's April Fool's, like, I don't know who signs it off. It obviously goes through like quite a few people, but people kind of seem to lose the fact that, all right, it might be funny and it might draw attention to your socials or your products or your brand for that small amount of time but what actually is the repercussions of that long term um like i saw one i saw today which kind of really shocked me i suppose it was actually by my london the publication um and they were sort of trying to make a joke about prince harry and Meghan moving back to the uk and like settling down in croydon and we're kind of making a joke that they just wanted to live like a normal life and not this sort of rich Californian life. And we're kind of associating that with like bits of Croydon that I suppose weren't that desirable. And I just was like, it wasn't really that funny. It really was a bit distasteful. And I just feel like, especially with the way that the media have reported on people like Meghan Markle recently, I just felt like it was a bit bad taste really. And I didn't see that the benefit, especially for a publication that doesn't really have anything to sell, if that makes sense. It didn't really mm. seem like a good payoff at all. Yeah, I guess it's those campaigns that can come across as mean-spirited. Um, people don't like to be laughed at. And I guess the people who live in Croydon who are reading that are thinking, oh, okay, so that's what you guys think about us. That's what you think about living in Croydon. It, it's a joke. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't think that campaigns that have someone as a butt of them all these stories that have someone as a butt of the joke necessarily work that well personally for me it's brands that play into the customer experience that do well on april Fool's day like for example um pringles um were launching a like chapstick with the flavor of the um salt and vinegar crisp and like playing into that experience of because if you've had salt and vinegar pringles then after you've eaten them like they are on your lips and you can taste it and you like you feel like you just need to drink water kind of thing so i like when brands do that because it does play into that customer experience but i don't think publication should be doing it really because that's how it becomes clickbaity so last week yeah. we had Jasmine Granton on about talking about clickbait. Um, mm. So actually this conversation follows on well from, from that. Yeah, definitely. I think as well, what I was going to ask Saffron is, 
I suppose, like, jumping onto that conversation that's been going around at the minute about as PRs, you know, like the kind of stories that we push out, a lot of them, I think some people would look at and say, you know, you don't need April Fool's Day for a fake product or a dream job kind of thing. Um, a lot of it is kind of designed to generate traffic and build links and stuff like that. Like, are there any examples you can think of of a campaign that not necessarily is an April Fool's campaign, but something that has worked really well and might have been, you know, a bit of a joke or something that's a bit more fluffy um, that you've really enjoyed working on? Because I think it's really interesting to see how other people build them campaigns and how people kind of get to that point um, and know it'll work, if that makes sense. Hmm. I, I mean, I'm very conscious that I don't want to call anyone's campaign fluffy. <laughs> yeah. But I... Yeah, I think that there's definitely a place for more lighthearted campaigns and not everything that we do is going to be really hard hitting. Um, some of the campaigns historically that I've seen at Impression, um, the Nightmare Mist, which Damien did, is something that I think worked really well. Um, I really enjoyed that. That was um, something which was actually eventually it started off as a fake product and was actually made into a product by the client um so it just shows the um you know how effective that one was um there was also the campaign where a um a new species of animal was named after donald trump that was something that we've done for one of our clients um and i think that you know there is a a space for more lighthearted campaigns, especially considering that, you know, some of the publications that we're looking to get into are looking for something a little bit more lighthearted. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I really enjoy them. Like I enjoy working on, on like more consumer orientated um, campaigns. I think that they definitely have a place in the industry. But then at the same time, we do have a responsibility in terms of what we're putting out there. And I guess it's just making sure that what we're putting out there is something that we are proud of and something that our agency is proud of. Um, but then every agency has a, a slightly different way that they approach digital PR. Um, and so I, I think for me, it's really about making sure that we're respecting each other's crafts. Um, and if we do have something to say about someone else's campaign, making sure that we're really wording that in, in a respectful manner. Yeah, 100%. I think that's really interesting. I love that Donald Trump piece as well. Um, I think it's really interesting in terms of when you look at like April Fool's Day as well, and there's always the question of not necessarily whether the campaign's like right off or whether it's funny enough, but it's kind of like, does that brand, is it appropriate for it to be in that kind of conversation? And I feel like April Fool's Day is a good example, but if we take it wider, I remember, I think it was a couple of years ago, and like Love Island always seems to be a really good example. Um, I think it was like a finance brand I'd seen. They were trying to use, like push some sort of social um, campaigns about like coupling up and trying to, to use Love Island as a tie-in, but it just felt a bit disconnected mm. from like what their target audience probably would have been. Um, so I wondered if like, what do you do to make sure that what you're putting out is really relevant and on brand, not only for the audience, but for the client that you're working on and how you make sure that that's kind of flowing throughout your process really? Yeah. Um, I mean, 
Relevancy is something which should be at the heart of every single campaign that we're engaging in. Um, but obviously, you know, sometimes we have to expand our area, our topics of ideation so that we can come up with something which is going to be newsworthy. And something which we do at Impression is looking at the circles of focus. So we'll have the core of the brand at the heart and then we'll look at secondary and tertiary topics for ideation just to give us a little bit more scope um, to come up with ideas. Um, but at the end of the day, the most important thing is that your campaign is relevant to your um, to your client. And of course, you know, you need that also so that when you're running your ideas past the client, they can see why it's relevant to them and they can see why it's something that would fit with their brand. But I think that's really interesting anyway, Saffron, of when you're on about like um, the circles and looking at obviously not what's just relevant immediately to the brand, but like how you ideate. You know, we all know that we need to make sure that our campaigns are relevant as possible but at the same time it's it's you know, the fact that sometimes when you have the core of a brand might not necessarily be the most newsworthy thing it might not be the the sexiest subject so it's really about um trying to trying to come up with something from that and I think that that's something that you guys at Rise at Seven do really well trying to find like the sexy in a topic yeah yeah I I think that's one of the biggest challenges but also one of the things I've found most fun so like like I was talking this to the other day actually about how like a lot of the clients I work on are like financial um which I suppose mm. at its heart isn't like that sexy but it's kind of like well everyone has like a relationship with money like we use money to do the majority of things in our life some of our biggest life events we save for so it's like you know there's relevancy around what we use money for rather than money as like a core topic and that's kind of how we've like sprung off into talking about um different topics but always kind of maintaining that relevancy throughout and making Mm. sure that it doesn't seem unusual to have our client in that conversation always making sure there's a way to sort of ground it again Mm. I think that it's definitely something which comes with time you know when you first start in the industry I mean I came from an SEO background you the ideas that you're coming up with are so, um, I guess, quite rigid and they're really um, quite central to the brand. And then as you grow in your experience, you see other campaigns, you read around more, you really learn how to um, to put a spin on, on any client that you're working on. Um, and it, it's really interesting, I guess, if you, I don't know if you guys have ever done this, but I've looked back at some of my old campaign ideas compared to my ideas now. And it's interesting to see how much you've progressed with that. Yeah, I look back at campaigns and I think like my first few ideations were shocking because they were just so, they were so rigid ideas and so specific to the brand, which isn't necessarily always a bad thing. Um, but yeah, as you move forward and grow then you sort of expand creativity and bounce off other people um, which I think is really really nice um I was going to say Saffron like I kind of wanted to to move on and like give you the opportunity to talk about some of the amazing work you've been doing in terms of CSR and also diversity within the industry I know a lot of what you're doing is obviously with impression but it's kind of you know seeding into what we can actually do to draw attention to it and make some sort of actions on it within the industry so I just wanted mm. to see you want to talk a little bit about 
what you've been up to and sort of what you're hoping to achieve and how I suppose listeners of this podcast and us as you know allies and everyone else can sort of start to work to be better within the industry really yeah of course I would love to um I guess yeah this is something like looking at diversity and inclusion in the industry is something which has been important to me since I started um I didn't notice it at first because I started my career in the Netherlands so I was working with colleagues from all over Europe um and then when I moved to um working in 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 our industry working in the UK um what I noticed is that you know that it's still so prevalent and there is this massive issue with diversity and inclusion in in the digital marketing industry it's something which um a lot of people have been working on for such a long time and that's why we have like these amazing communities like women in tech SEO um but you know, there is still a long way to go. And we see that every time we get, um, you know, a new conference um, lineup that comes out and it's, you know, there's such a lack of diversity in that. Or if we look at the, um, I don't know, the senior members of of many agencies and we see that, you know, they all look the same. Um, So it is such a big problem still. And I think that there's like, fundamental issues in the sense that it's also something which a lot of people aren't aware of um and then the issue that I think that we have like a spur of change a spur of people kind of want to get involved in wanting to do things and then it often tells off um so I think it's really about about agencies, about companies putting these policies in place in their own organisations and as putting in these these kind of policies for conferences and then making sure that the roadmaps that we put out are actually carried out. Yeah, Yeah. I was just wondering because I think it was yesterday a government report found that the UK had no no longer had a system rigged against minorities. Yeah, it's been cured. Yeah, and and obviously it's caused, uh, it has had a big big backlash. Um, Like they've been accused of ignoring black and ethnic minorities, people's concerns. Um, So I just wondered, what what did you think about that? And do you think the government have missed the mark? I would say anyone who doesn't think that racism exists should go and stand with my uncle who owns a corner shop, stand there for a day and listen to the way that people speak to him and then tell me that racism doesn't exist. Um, But no, on a serious note, I think that the uproar that we've seen from the report and the responses that we've seen really do demonstrate that that is such an issue with racism in the UK and you know I think that this report has it's just you you almost you don't think that it can get any worse you know you don't think that um you think okay like you know this is as bad that it can get um, we've seen the like horrific experiences that Meghan Markle has had you know it can't get worse than this and then I think the report coming out is just kind of another kick in the teeth so yeah I definitely 
think that the government has completely missed the mark with this one. Um, yeah, yeah it's, it's pretty shocking. Yeah, I, I think I find it really, I struggle to comprehend, like you said, that anyone that can have that thought that as a country, we don't have an issue with it. And like you said, as an industry as well, um, mm. I think as well, there's a big discussion to be had around like intersectionality and the fact that, you know, like as a as a woman or a woman of colour, like there's different factors to how we can portray and advocate diversity within the industry as well. Um, and then it doesn't just stop at like certain actions. Um, I, I know it's slightly sort of removed, but I was looking at a debate the other day about, um, I think it was The Guardian had just used, I think it was two black men um, in bed together as stock imagery um, in one mm. of their articles to obviously show sort of, you know, um, an LGBTQ relationship. They were obviously both men of colour. Um, and the backlash was just was just horrendous um, from people on social media and people almost thought I'd been put out there to sort of bait some sort of reaction. And I was like, but that's, that is reality in the UK. That's someone's situation. That's someone's life. Um, Mm. And I suppose I was going to say, where do you think as an industry and I suppose as a society, like we start to make those changes because like you said, there's a lot of people that the conversation happens and we don't want it to tail off. We want this conversation to persist. So where do you think the sort of ways that people can, you know, start to make it something that they're actively working on? Mm, I think, I guess there's a few different, like, points there. In terms of, um, like, stock imagery, um, I think that kind of comes down to the lack of visibility in the media. Um, So, you know, we often don't see minority ethnic groups represented in the media. So that might be in stock imagery, in um, in in like commercials, anything like that. And it's so important for people to see themselves represented in the media. You know, you want to, whenever I come across a stock image and I see an, an Indian woman, I'm pretty shocked because it's, it's just not something that you tend to see. And it's really important that as people grow up, they do see themselves represented in the media. Um, you know, it helps you to feel validated, it helps you to feel valued, and it helps you to feel like you're part of um, society. And it can't be in the way that we see stereotypes. You know, often when we do see minority ethnic groups represented in the media, it's only through stereotypes or through one-dimensional characters like um, like Abu from The Simpsons, who was actually played by a white guy, so um, funny. Um, so, yeah, I guess it's just about making sure that we are including more diverse imagery, more diverse kind of characters, and that not only allows for minority groups to see themselves mirrored, but it also provides a window so it shows society um, the different dimensions to these characters. You know, they aren't just stereotypes. Here are the other ways that you can see them represented. Um, So that's kind of one side to it. And then in terms of within our industry, um, we are seeing, I think we're seeing people take steps in the right direction. And there's people, you know, people do want to be involved. Um, I see it as something which has to happen internally and externally. We need for agencies and companies to make changes within their own organizations and 
that might be through looking at your own recruitment process, looking at your top level management, you know, looking at how you're including your existing staff, um, reviewing um, the pay of your employees, and then externally. So, you know, looking at conferences, looking at lineups, looking at these lists that are being done, are they inclusive and are they diverse? Um, and then also looking at the next generation who are joining um, the digital marketing industry, how can we make sure that we're appealing to a wide range of candidates and I you know we do um we do things at impression for that we go and talk at schools at uh, universities um Alex I know that you've spoken at your university previously as well so there's lots of great activity going on um I think it's just making sure that we're hitting at all the different points um you know we don't want to be inviting people in into the industry if we're not seeing if they're not going to see themselves reflected in um, in the top management of different companies, we need to make sure that change is happening all the way along. Do you think um, government report, you know, it downplays structural racism in the UK? Do you think that will hinder how agencies or organisations uh, progress in being diverse? Um. I think it depends on on the agency, to be honest, because like if I if I take impression as an example, our um, our founders are really committed to making change. And I don't necessarily think a report saying that racism doesn't exist anymore would change that. Um, and I, I think that that would also be the case for a lot of other agencies. But yeah, I do think that the report is harmful. I think that it has the potential to cause more harm because, yeah, it's almost giving some people perhaps an excuse not to make a change or it's saying, oh, you know, racism doesn't exist anymore. But I, I don't think that... I think that people are, are wider than that. I think that m- most people are aware that there is an issue, especially in our industry. Um, so I would hope not. Picking up on a couple of points, like you mentioned, that visibility for one is absolutely huge. Um, and it's making sure people have access and like access to skills and access to the knowledge of what they can achieve and what they can do to get in the industry. I know... Um, I know there's a million other organisations like it, but we were talking about um, like our diversity group at Rise, and one of the charities I want to partner with is like a like an LGBTQ youth charity, um, and it's aimed at teaching those kind of transferable skills and opening up like career opportunities to maybe like I suppose disadvantaged youth from those minority groups that might not necessarily be thinking about our our industry as a career, and I think it's like breaking down them barriers really that will help and kind of you know there's talent there to be had so let's make sure we're going out there to find it as well um and it's just sort of i suppose thinking in that way i'd hope that a lot of our industry will sort of start to take on board really yeah i think um i think that all agencies and all employees in our industry need to realize that you know you you do have a responsibility to help inspire the next generation and you have an opportunity to make a change and there's some really great agencies who are who are 
being proactive in that and I think that it's about looking within your agency and thinking how can you get involved there's not there's no step that's too big or too small every every small thing that you do will have an impact and if you're not sure where to get started you know there's like I said, there's loads of other agencies that are doing things that you can take inspiration from. Like, you know, I know at Rise, you guys have released some really great initiatives and you're getting involved in lots of different activities for diversity and inclusion. Um, so, yeah, have a look around and, and take some inspiration. So, uh, Saffron, just to finish off, um, we've just got a couple of quick fire questions just in case anyone wants to get to know you a little bit better. To start off with, I was going to ask, who is your biggest inspiration in the industry? Oh, gosh. Um, that's a tricky one. Probably a rage, um, just because she's set up this whole community um, for women and it's really, really inspiring. And before I joined the, like before I joined Twitter, I hadn't ever seen um, such a kind of strong um, woman, like, you know, so powerful and she's really, really making a difference. And she also takes such pride in her work as well. Uh, what's your go-to playlist whilst working with her? Um, it's, it's one called This Is How We Do. It's kind of like um, like a like R&B hip-hop kind of vibe. I have the taste of a Asian girl from Lesser. That is my thing. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I love, I, I love knowing people's music tastes. I don't know why, but I feel like that reveals so much about them. I love... I'm always like, what do you listen to? Like, what are your favourite songs? <laughs> Yeah, mine is mine is everything you would think it would be. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, all right, if you had to wake up first thing in the morning, are you drinking a cup of tea or are you drinking a cup of coffee? Coffee. I'm I'm a pint of water and then straight to the coffee. Yeah, hundred percent. So that's a good balance. When you started to work in digital VR, what is the first link you ever built? Oh my gosh. Um, oh, I think it was one for my um, law client in, uh, I think it was in iNews and I was still working in the SEO team and I was just doing like some response or stuff and I didn't really realise the significance of it. And then I told the PR team and they were like, oh God, you built a link. <laughs> That's good. I knew exactly. is a great first link. Yeah, I was, and then I was, um, I was kind of like, I really got off on the buzz of it, and then I got hooked. Yeah, once I realised the praise I was going to get every time I got a link, I was loving it. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. Um, so, thinking in an ideal world, what is the one brand you would absolutely love to work with? Jim Shark. Yeah, yeah I, um, I'm a big, like, five times a week at the gym, own every piece of gym chart you can imagine. Like, uh, I love it, I'd love it. Yeah, that would be so Two weeks to go until they open. Yeah, so final question, I feel like this also says a lot about the person. Um, so what is your most used emoji? 
Oh, should I have a look? I think it might be the crown. Like, yeah, it's the crown. Always hyping it. everyone up. Yeah, what about you guys? Mine is either the clink one, like the clink glasses, the Prosecco glasses, oh. or it's the laughing face, but like the diagonal laughing face, if that makes sense. Yeah, You've laughing, you're laughing so much she's falling over. <laughs> yeah, I'm always laughing at something. <laughs> Mine is the... Um... Like the puppy eyes face. That's how I can describe it. Um, oh, that. Yeah. Um, and the star. Yeah. The star. Um, and one final thing, Saffron, before we let you go. Out of everything you've seen today, what's been your favourite April Fool's campaign? Probably, yeah, probably the Dungeons one. I loved it. Um, I thought it was really, really tied into the news agenda, but also pretty funny, very on-brand. Love that. Well, thank you so much, Saffron. I've been dying to have you on as a guest. Um, if you've got any questions for Saffron or want to talk about anything we've spoken about in the podcast, she's on Twitter at Saffron Shergill. Um, and if you want to get in touch or fancy being a guest on PR People, then we are at PR People Pod on Twitter as well. Um, so thanks, guys, and thanks, Saffron, and we'll see you all next time. Thank you.